All right, we announced the topic on the uh, Facebook today. I'll put that up there for you. We are going to be over in the book of Colossians. Daryl, I think, was the one who suggested this. And uh, so I went back and took a look at this, and I think First Timothy was the other one we had suggested. Uh, First Timothy, though, we did about three years ago. Four years ago. We did about four years ago for that. So this one was actually 16 years. So I figured, out oh, that's probably long enough ago. <laughs> we could probably go ahead and, and revisit this and see what else we have going on. With it. So we're going to get started here just in the first couple of verses. Get us going here with uh, Paul's letter to the city of Colos. Colos was a city in Asia Minor. It's, uh, today it's in the western third of Turkey. That would be the area of Turkey that the king of the north did not control for those who were here in the uh, end times class. The two closest neighbors were Laodicea and Heropolis. Uh, Paul often linked Laodicea and, and Colossae together. They were involved in a heresy that had come into the, the area that believers needed to reach beyond Jesus Christ to God through the mediation of angels. The uh, foundation for this was that angels were lower beings than Jesus. Only Christian Jews would accept Jesus. Angels did not belong to the Greek mind or religion. It was a Jewish belief and it was based in the Old Testament. So one who sought God or Jesus directly, they were seen as arrogant. Uh, putting down the flesh and humility were needed before we can approach God. Therefore, seeing, seeking God or Jesus through angels was thought to be a more humble way to approach God. The Gnostics later developed this thought and it would become the Roman Catholic Church in which the angels were replaced with saints. That's where we have the we see that going on today. The uh, Colossian saints had accepted a Jewish Christian form of asceticism. This is a doctrine that a person can attain a high spiritual and moral state by practicing self-denial and and uh, such things like that. Uh, it, uh, they were probably influenced by the Essenes. That is a Palestinian sect characterized by asceticism, celibacy, and joint holding of property. Not sure what that part means, but that flourished from the second century BC to the second century AD. They would not touch oil, meat, or wine. They would keep the Sabbath to extremes. I don't know what you're doing with this, but they would keep the Sabbath to extremes. They wouldn't even go to the bathroom. It's pretty extreme. They kept detailed lists of angels' names, their responsibilities, and so forth. Now, where do you think they got those names and those responsibilities from? <laughs> the spiritual foundation of this was that Jesus was the head of the church. Jesus' Jesus's role was a mediator and physical disciplines and spiritual development. Uh, distractions of the mind and the flesh and individual and family order. These are things that they used as scriptural foundations for what they did. But it's wrong doctrine. And this was in, in this area, and this is one of the things Paul would battle while he was out here. You'll see some of this going on in the book of Colossians. But as we put here for a, a title for this one, the Colossians is the believer's upgrade. How many of you have you've up, upgraded your phone? You know, you've upgraded your TV. You've upgraded your computer. You've upgraded the operating system. I heard uh, that the iPhone just put out a new OS ten. I thought I heard something about that. That uh, it's coming, hasn't that come out yet? No, it's out. It is out. All right, so people can download that. I heard uh, Rush Limbaugh, he was talking about the new OS 10 on his. He, gets, he just loves iPhone stuff, he just loves that. Mm -hmm. We separate on, on that. <laughs> and he was bragging about this new feature that is an OS 10. I'm thinking, I've had that for two phones. Oh. Uh, apparently, there's some kind of thing where it will go through your pictures yeah. and then make a big album out of it. Yeah, mine does that with videos, too. It does, it does it with pictures, videos, all sorts of stuff. So um, kudos for Apple for catching up. <laughs> One of these days, Rush and I might get together and talk about phones. I don't think either of us will be happy at the end of it, but <laughs> we could do that. Anyway, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossus, Coloss, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he starts off here, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Is Paul an apostle because God willed it? <laughs> he says that it is, uh, he is the apostle by the will of God. Now, a lot of people, when we see that by the will of God, we think, well, then God willed it. And that's why he's there. But is Paul an apostle because God willed it? There was a call by God, right? That was the first thing. There was a call by God. God called him. That was the will of God. But Paul was not operating in that call. So there was a call by God and there was a choice by Paul. Just because God willed it doesn't mean this happened. When Paul says an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he does not mean to say that he is an apostle because God willed it. Because just because God wills a thing does not mean it comes to be. Well, if God wills it, you know, the one that people all do, um, I'll see you next week, God willing. <laughs> things, of, things of that nature. Yeah, we got to be, uh, be watchful of that. That kind of thinking can, can get into us. And we begin to think, well, if God wants this to happen, it will happen. No. God wills it, but then we have to, there's usually choices that we have to make as well in order to bring that about. Paul made the choice to follow after what God said he wanted done. But a more important thing to look at with this is that Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, it is not by his own will. He is not in the position of an apostle because he appointed himself there. There are people today that are in the body of Christ that are operating in positions of authority because they willed it. What we need to have is that God willed it and that somebody on the ground got in line with it. Just because God willed it didn't mean that the person on the ground got in line with it. You know, Brother Creflo Dollar, maybe God's will for him to pastor a church. But until he, he agrees to it, and he lines up with it and does the things that are necessary, it isn't going to happen. Because there's a choice that's on, on his part. Brother Hagen had the call to start Raymond Bible Training Center. Anybody ever hear the story how that happened? That was a funny story. He was uh, in, in there ministering at, uh, at, a, at a particular meeting. <clears throat> and when he got done, everybody clamored to him and came up to him and said, when are we starting the school? He said, what school? He said, well, when you were preaching tonight, you said you were going to start a school. He said, I did. He says, yeah, you did. Well, if I said it, it must be true. <laughs> so that's how Raymond got going. They just got under the anointing and uh, proclaimed some things. And uh, they went back and they listened to it. And sure enough, they, they got going and God opened the door for it. But he, people came and told him what he said. And, uh, but he was willing. God was willing. And that's why I always like that saying that Brother Hagin went to. You know, God was willing. They were willing. They, God did. I did. They did. Uh, stuff like that. Because there's more than just getting God to go being uh, the one who wills the thing. But then after that, we, we do have people that are in positions of apostles, positions of teachers, positions of prophets, positions of pastors that are self-appointed. They appointed them themselves. God didn't will it. God didn't call them. But they did it. How can you tell? Because these are people that are going to try and ex exercise some kind of authority in the body of Christ. And uh, Brother Hagin would tell us, you know, people would come into his church and say, I'm an apostle. You need to submit to me. <laughs> He'd just laugh at them. And <laughs> people would do that. But you see that Paul, as an apostle, had authority over the churches he started. He didn't just have authority over churches. He had authority over churches he started. Churches that he did not start, he was hands off. He, when he wrote to Rome, there was no authority in that letter because he didn't start that church. He had no apostolic authority as far as Paul was concerned. But when he comes over here to Colossus, he's got apostolic authority because he started the. He was in there. He's, he, he took the message of the gospel there. He started the church that was in, in there. started the church that was in Philippi. Other places that, uh, that he started, he had apostolic authority there. How do we know if someone is in a position of authority in the body of Christ by self-appointment or by God's? Wouldn't that be helpful to know? I mean, how can you, if, if somebody is in a position of authority in the body of Christ and exercises authority over people and they're not appointed by God, that's probably not going to work out so well. There's probably going to be some problems. And we've seen in the body of Christ that there are, have been some abuses and some people have done some things 
that they should not have done in the body of Christ, in the name of God. And people have been hurt by some of those things. So here's, what are some of the things that we can look at? <clears throat> so I'm going to give you three. You can probably make this list a lot longer than that, but you get by these three, I think you're, you're going to find a pretty good amount. And that's first off is grace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Paul always writes about this. Whenever he writes to pastors and ministers, he always writes grace, mercy, and peace. Here in the city of Coloss, he writes to them grace and mercy. Or sorry, grace and peace. But when he writes to a pastor, grace, mercy, and peace. Always adds that extra one in. If you go on through all Paul's epistles, you'll see if he writes to one of his churches, it's grace and peace. If he writes to one of his pastors, it's grace, mercy, and peace. Every single time. 100% of the time, that's, that's what he's doing. Well, when he's writing to a church, he's writing to a Gentile church that also has Jewish believers in it. And the greeting among Gentiles is the Greek word for grace. That is the greeting. It's kind of like what you would say when, you know, hey, how you doing? You don't really mean how you doing. It's a greeting. You don't really want to know. You want to, I'm trying to get that out of my vocabulary. How you doing? I, I, sometimes I still mess up with that. But the worst time to do it is, you know, when I run, you know, have you ever seen the commercial for Mizuno running shoes? Anybody ever seen that? Sometimes it comes up when uh, they, they have this running shoe called Wave. They make, it's a wave, and they would wave this and the wave that, and that's what it is. Well, they made their whole running, running shoe advertisement thing over should you or should you not wave? Because one of the things that you would do when runners run on by each other, usually they, they wave. And now, now there are some runners out there, they don't wave. You're sitting there waving, you're left hanging. <clears throat> How you doing? And you're just left hanging and they just uh, keep on going. So that's why the whole thing came up, to wave or, or not to wave. So, we, you know, when, uh, when we have other runners coming and somebody else is coming up, you're just, I just wave. I don't, I don't. Now, after they pass me the first time and they don't wave back, then yeah, I'm ignoring you the second time. I'm just, <laughs> we're just going on. But that's, uh, that's about it. Guy, gal, I don't care what they, fast, slow, old, young, it don't matter to me. If they're running, I wave. I even wave to walkers. People that are walking. And then, you know, sometimes even cyclists, they're coming by. I just tend to be friendly. You know, if you're out there on the path with me, how you doing? Just kind of wave, nod, do something like that. And, but some people just kind of ignore you. Just, uh, you know, just, just nothing. But uh, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll wait. Hey, how you doing? Oh, why did I do that? <laughs> I don't want to know how they're doing right now because I'm not going to stop and, and, and listen to the story. So I'm trying to get, you know, good morning, uh, good afternoon, you know, you, just stuff like that. And, and get the how you doing out of the out of there. But this is what this is. When you go up to, in the Greek world, when you go up to somebody else, you would just say, grace. But you would use the Greek word for it. If you were Jewish, you wouldn't do that. If you were Jewish, you would come up and you would say, shalom, which is peace. So when Paul writes to the churches, they're Gentiles and the Jews. So he says, grace and peace. He's getting both greetings in. <laughs> He's got the Jewish greeting in. He's got the Gentile greeting in. He's got them all covered. But when he writes to pastors, now there he's right into an interval. He knows whether they're Gentile. He knows whether they're Jewish. He knows what they're... He could say grace. He could say peace. He could say whatever. But he says grace, mercy, and peace 100% of the time. Because the things that you're going to need in your life if you are in ministry is grace, <laughs> mercy, and peace. You're going to need all those things going on. And so just take a look at those three things, grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is the gift of God to do what you are doing. A person who has the gift of God to do what they're doing doesn't get frustrated by it. It doesn't come hard. It's a, no, it doesn't mean that there isn't difficult times in the ministry. It just means that the ministry doesn't come hard. It's not, it, it's not a, it's not a, doesn't wear down your soul. Grace has been applied to you. God has given you grace to get that thing done. And, uh, and God's grace is there. Mercy. These people that are in, in called by God, they extend mercy to people. And mercy is extended to them. Because when you get in the area of ministry, you can make some mistakes. And dear Lord, you want some mercy to come in your way. You got somebody who's in a position of authority, apostle, pastor, prophet, whatever that might be that they're in, and they do not show mercy. Heaven help them. See, a person who's called by God will show mercy. They will have grace, they will have mercy, and they will have peace. They will be at peace doing what it is that they're doing. They won't be unsettled. might be chaos going all around them, but they have peace. So if you look at these, for these three things, look for people that have the grace of God to do what they're doing, that demonstrate mercy, 
and flow in the peace of God. You got those three things covered? Covered? More than likely that person is in that position because God willed it and not because they did themselves. And Paul is telling people, I'm in the position of, of apostle because God willed it. He goes on and says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colos. How many of you believe all saints are faithful? <laughs> How many know some saints that are not faithful? Yeah, but he doesn't write that. He writes to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colos. So does that mean that if you are not a saint and faithful, you shouldn't read this book? Maybe some of what we call unfaithful isn't as unfaithful as we think it is. Maybe sometimes it's just a lack of knowledge. Maybe sometimes it's just a lack of someone showing us what to do. But that's how he writes it. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colos. He's looking at the folks that are in that, that uh, town there as faithful. We got some some uh, heresies going on there. Have they gotten involved with that? I don't know. They're saints and faithful. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. We give thanks to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, Vincent's word studies associates the word always with giving of thanks, not prayers. He goes into the Greek and breaks down the Greek on this and shows that the word for always goes with the part of thanks, not with the part for prayers. The Amplified translates it this way. We continually give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and as we are praying for you, or as we are praying for you. We continually give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as we are praying for you. Now think of an entire city church. Not a local, just a local church. An entire city church. Do understand that New Testament churches, the way they were made up, you had the church of Ephesus, you had the church of Colossus, you had the church of Corinth, you had that entire church, but they, were, they did not have a big church place to meet because the synagogue kicked them out. So they met in homes. And so what you had was you had an overseer pastor known as a bishop who watched over the elders who pastored the home churches. And that's how they were broken down in the New Testament. So a lot of times we see the terminology that they're using and we transfer it to today. But you have to understand it from how they were. There was a city church and they all the churches in that city were part of that church. But you had different home groups that uh, would meet and different elders who would be over each of those home groups as they would, as they would gather. And Paul would, would talk to them here. When he would get together with them, I guess they would find a place outside. Maybe they could rent the amphitheater or something like that. But um, uh, the, the generally, the, the synagogue became an unfavorable place for them. It wasn't initially, but it became an unfavorable place for them. He says, We give thanks to God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. So every time that he's, he's making prayers for them, he's giving thanks for them. Always giving thanks for them. Some of the people in the city of Coloss, you think they were all good? You think they're all beneficial? But he gave thanks for all of them. That's a, that's a different attitude to have. Think of your own life. Think of all the people. We're talking about Christians. Think of all the Christians that are in your life. Do you give thanks for all of them? <laughs> Now, where's the, hold on. Yeah, it's right, inside hands, that's right. <laughs> How many are thinking right now, there are some people that are born again. I wish they were not in my life. I wish they hadn't come across my path. <laughs> we're not so thrilled about those particular Christian people. What is Paul's attitude? We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Is he talking about some of them? No, because in the verse before, he's talking about all the saints that are in Colossus. He's talking about all of them. And Paul is giving thanks for every one of them. One of the reasons that we don't have uh, such a good view of all the people that are in our life that are Christians is because of our attitude towards them. That's a lot of the reason that we don't give thanks for them. There's, um, <clears throat> there's things we've got to change in ourselves. 
most of the time we're looking at the other people and we have to we're looking at ways to change them. There's a number of examples I'm sure you have in your life and a number of examples I have in my life where this came true. I'll share one of them with you. There was a uh, uh when Christian was growing up, you know, I uh we we started out with all his sports teams sitting on the bench and watching the games, but then they, you know, games and practices are put over church time and over church events and things that and we didn't necessarily like that. And so our strategy to combat it was that I would get involved in the coaching field. And I became a basketball coach and I became a soccer coach. Because if I was a soccer coach and I was a basketball coach, we had input into when practice times were and when games times were. So when I took the, I'll be a coach, but I can't practice on Sunday morning. I can't have games on Sunday morning. And we won't see the field for a game until at least 2 o'clock on a Sunday. And so, well, that's fine. We can work around that. (laughs) <laughs> just the, they're just glad to, to have people in there and there are a couple of times that it came down the one time they gave me a basketball schedule and they said uh, only time we have is Sunday morning and I said well then we're not taking it and well I, you know, so I told all of our team he says look if you all want to show up and have practice go ahead I'm not going to be there my son's not going to be there but you all can go if you want to we have the court here this time <laughs> so I told them all what we had and I don't think any of them showed up for the for the practice and all that but it wasn't a game and so forth, but uh, but anyway, this was this was going on. So I was going back and forth between the two leagues, and there was this one young man who uh, popped up on our radar screen in the uh, basketball league. And now my first interaction with him was during the summer league. We coached, I coached uh, basketball in the fall, basketball in the summer, and soccer in the spring, I believe it was, or vice versa. Been a while, however it was. It was two times basketball, one time soccer. And so in the summer league people go away on vacation. And so we, uh, we were looking for replacements on, on people because you're just looking to get enough people to put on the court to play because everybody's going away. So uh, this is one of the times that uh, Angel had, uh, had been down over here and she had come and, and sh- she was here. Christian and, and uh, Damon used to play around a lot. And, and so uh, she was going to be back, I think, or somehow it, it worked out that we kept Damon for a week. We had Damon in our house. We loved having Damon in our house. He's a lot of fun. So uh, he and Christian got to play the whole week. And so I was, we were coaching basketball. We went over to the summer league, and he is a good basketball player. If he was in the league and they had set up a draft, he would be a number one pick. He was a good basketball player. So he makes a difference when he's on the team. But we had, we had very few people that were, bringing, were showing up there. So I asked, you know, do you mind if, if Damon plays on our team? He's not in the league. But uh, he's a good basketball player. He, and so he came on in. And, I mean, he just was mopping up the, the court with the people that were out there. <laughs> well, there's one young man. He's a good player. He's on the other, other side. And there were some racial uh, comments that came out of his mouth towards Damon. I didn't hear him. But Damon told me about him afterwards. And I was very taken back. And that gave me the, uh, the viewpoint of this young man that was not very good. Now, most of the people in the league did not have a good opinion about this young man. He was not seen as a real good uh, team player. Uh, he had the talent. We drafted every year in the, in the fall or whatever the basketball season, but I think it was fall. Uh, we drafted every year. He had the talent to be a number one pick. You would take him first out of all the, the guys that were there. That's his talent. He would usually go somewhere in the fourth or fifth round, sometimes later, because of his attitude and because of the things that he brought he had anger issues, he had submission issues, and apparently he had racial issues. And so uh, after my interaction with this, I said, well, I don't need him on my team. I, that was my attitude towards it. I, I, didn't, I didn't pick him on my team, and sure enough, I watched him all whenever we played. He just had an attitude. He was angry. He was being ejected from games. It was not going good. Not going good at all. So we came to the spring of that year, and in, the, in soccer, well, you don't pick you don't pick your players. Basketball, we have a big draft. In fact, we held it over here in the children's church. Um, they were having a hard time. I think the first year I was in there, they had a hard time finding a spot. I said, look, I got a big room over here. We're in Warrington. Why don't you all come on over here? And we, we set it all up there, and they all loved us. We got all these guys coming into church. <laughs> it's kind of fun. And uh, they enjoyed all the stuff that we had over there to make the night uh, work and be easy. And so uh, soccer, they just hand it to you and say, here's your team. And so I opened it up, looked at my team. Guess who's on my team? I looked at that and said, I don't want this young man on my team. 
I had an attitude about this young man because of the things that I had seen in there. So, uh, all right, well, we got to do something about He's on my team. I got to do something about this thing. So uh, we put together. They apparently <clears throat> handed me quite a team. I had a good team. I don't think they knew how good the team was. And when we got in the field, we just blew everybody out of the water that was in, in the Warrington area. But I think they thought this guy was going to be a downer on the team and so forth. So uh, I, I saw what was going on with him. So I, I pulled him aside. And I, I, I saw his athletic ability. And I told him some things. I said, look, you got some ability here. you got some talent. I'm going to put a special charge upon you that I have not put upon anyone else in here. And I'm going to tell the rest of the team that this is my charge on you. I said, I'm going to assign you to defense the entire game. I said, but you got some speed. And he did. He had some speed. He could run. I says, uh, when you get the ball, I'm giving you permission, even though you're on defense, to run the ball all the way down the other end of the field and do whatever you want. Just run back. Do not let the defense be be, uh, held up. Usually your defense had to stay at home. But he rose up to the challenge. And he, he accomplished that. He did went way. You, he was so back so fast, and he just ran circles around everybody. And his entire attitude for the entire year was good, really good. So when we came to the fall, we were coming for the draft. I says, you know what? I think I can work with this guy. I think I can work with him. So I'm going to take him. And so I took him. I knew he was a first round talent. I think I took him in the third round just to make sure I got him. And I took him. And as soon as I took him, the entire rest of the, oh, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know. He's going to bring your team down. Oh, he's a good talent, but he's just a problem. He's got an attitude. He's got this, that, and the other thing. I said, I know. I worked with him over the spring. I think I can work with him again. They said, uh, fine. So we, we worked with him again. And sure enough, we had some attitude issues. We had some, some times getting with the ref and stuff like that. I got right in his face, sat him on the bench, and got in his face afterwards and said, you will not react this way. And we just uh, worked with him. And um, he turned himself around. And he became a really good player. And his parents came up to me and said, you were the first person who's ever believed in him. He really likes you. And he became a very good player. We had a very good team because of it. The next year, coming to the draft, he was taken in the first round. (laughs) I don't know how well he worked. It was his senior year. I don't know how well he worked for the other team for the whole year. But as soon as the draft was over and I saw that I didn't get him, I sent a note over to his parents and said, please tell him I would have loved to have had him on my team, but he was gone before I had a chance to pick him. And uh, they uh, wrote me back and everything was good. I've seen him a few times since then, and he's always very friendly and very very, uh, very polite. And his whole, whole demeanor changed towards people, towards the other people that were around him, and things worked out. Because my attitude towards him changed. If our attitude towards the people that are around us will change, the people that we think are a problem can actually be an asset. And they can actually turn around and help us out. This young man helped out our team. He's a good player. He knew how to play basketball and knew how to play soccer. But we had to get past some of the, the other things that were going on in there. We have some people that God has put on our team, that He has put around us. But as long as we have an attitude about them that says they're no good, they're not going to help me. They're a weight. They aren't going to be anything but that. We have to learn to, to do something different. And look at what he does. He says, We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, or always giving thanks, praying for you. It's probably more how it should be. One of the things you will find that you are not doing for the people in your life that you wish were not there is you are not praying for them. It is very hard to pray for people and be critical of them at the same time. Pray for those people and get yourself in a place to be thankful for them. Get yourself, Father God, I thank you for the things they can bring to my, to my life. I thank you for the things they can bring to the team, to the, to the things that I'm facing. They can help me on some things. Just about every one of us has some downsides and some, some good sides. Thank God there's people around us that are thankful for us, that are glad for us being there. <clears throat> but give thanks for them. Put in your outline, how grateful are you for the people in your life? Do we have good reasons at times for not being grateful? How many of you can think of some good reasons for not being grateful for some believers that are in your life? We're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about believers. That's what the letter is too, the saints. Do we sometimes wish for different people? How many of you have always wished, that, well, I wish I had different people. 
I wish I had these kind of people. I wish I had this person. I wish... Yep. Have thoughts come that point out what is lacking in those around us? Yeah, I thought, well, these people, they don't have this, and this person doesn't have this, and this person doesn't have this. Of course, the best example in the Word is David. When all those, when 200 people came around him and they were the worst of society, he didn't go back to God and said, God, what is this that you gave me? I think David's attitude must have been one of thanksgiving. Thank God for, for 200 people that had decided to follow me and to, to help out. And he probably prayed for them. And then 200 people became 400 people. And 400 people became 600 people. And out of that 600 people came 300 really good ones, 30 spectacular ones, and three Rambos. And they helped him when he became king. A lot of these people were put into places of positions of power, and they all helped David. David was tremendous at having good people around him. People who could do things that he didn't do that he couldn't do. People who weren't perfect, but people that he was thank- thankful to have and got them ready. If we can become thankful for all of the people that are in our lives, if we can learn to pray for all the believers that are... Re- you can't pray this way for unbelievers. You can't, you can't pray for the same way for unbelievers as believers. But believers you can pray for that God works with them, changes them, makes them better, that you can have a role in all that as well. Now, what happens when we become ungrateful for the people that are in our lives? Three things. First off, superiority. I begin to think that I am superior to all the other people that are around me when I become ungrateful for the people that are in my life. Even if I'm only ungrateful for a quarter of the people that are in my life, you cannot become ungrateful for those people without thinking that you are superior. Now, the Word of God doesn't tell us to think less of ourselves than the people around around us. But it does say, think equally as good about yourself as the people that are around you, the believers that are around you. Don't have that superiority complex. Isolation is another one. We become isolated because, well, this one's no good. I can't trust this one. This one, well, you know about them. (laughs) We just eliminate all the different ones around us and all the reasons why we can't use them. We become more isolated. The more isolated I become, the more superior I become to all the people that are around, this develops the third one. That's lack. Because I don't have what I need. I don't have the people around me that can do the other things that can help me out. I'm not skilled at all things. There are some things that can bring other people in to do and they can do it faster. But um, we need to have that attitude, our attitude's right. Don't feel superior to the people that are around you. Don't, let, don't become isolated. Then you won't have the lack that happens. Don't become ungrateful. Be grateful for everyone that's in your life. Every one of them. And if that ungrateful attitude begins to work its way in, guess where it's coming from? Because the enemy wants you isolated. The enemy wants you to not have enough. He wants you to have lack. The enemy wants you to be puffed up. That's the enemy's tactic. So he's going to be telling you all kinds of things about the people around you. Well, this one over here, they're no good. You can't trust them for anything. You can't depend on them. They're no good over No, they're no good over there. Their attitude stinks. I already told you this one, but one reason we become ungrateful is our failure to pray for them. If we pray for the people that are around us, this helps them get better because we're praying for them. Why did Paul pray for the saints? Because he wanted them to grow and get better. So if Paul is thinking that my prayers are going to make them grow and get better, then what would our prayers do? They're going to grow and they're going to get better. Uh, Grows our love towards them. Try and pray for someone and not grow in love toward them. I mean, just try and do it. Try and pray earnestly for a particular believer and just see if, if you can have that love of God grow for them. You'll see that it'll happen. It makes us feel more of the same team. You know, sometimes if we're walking on down the road and we see somebody with a Philadelphia Eagles jersey on, smack them up on the arm, hey, how about that game? And we just start having conversations on, on some things. And, 
and uh, and having good having good conversations, nice conversations. I was in a, a repair place, car repair place. Guy is sitting in there with a Dallas Cowboy shirt on. Can you believe that? <laughs> well, I knew about the Cowboys game. I knew how they did and uh, whether they had a good game or a bad game or whatever it was. So I just started talking to him about it. And we just had a conversation sitting right there. And it was a pleasant conversation. It wasn't an unpleasant conversation at all. We had a, had a very good conversation on, on things with the Dallas Cowboy fan. It was good. But we can have camaraderie with things like that. Just because they're wearing a shirt from the college that we went to. They're wearing a hat of a cause that we like. And we immediately get, gravitate to that. We don't know about all the flaws that are in their lives. We don't know about the shortcomings that they have. All we know about is they're wearing a shirt same college I went to. That's it. They got a hat for the same cause I like. That's all we know. And we immediately gravitate to one another. Well, we need to do that with believers too. We're all wearing Jesus. Now, how do people, how do people help me out? the people that are around me that I'm supposed to be giving thanks for, the people that I'm supposed to be praying for, how is it that these people help me out? This is the question I asked on my way home. I made, made reference to. Remember on our way home uh, last night I was telling you about the things, that, about the candidates, what makes one good, what makes one bad. So I was asking God, says, how does that make someone better? I mean, you, un- you can understand that it does make someone better, but I wanted to know, I like to know the nitty-gritty of the thing. You know, how does it work? What does it do? So I'm asking God, what is it about having good people around you? What is it about that that makes you better? So that's what I asked the question for. These are, the, these are the things I got about it. How do people help me? First off, people around you can lift you up. If they are good people, they will lift you up. If they're bad people, they'll pull you down. But if they're good people, they lift you up. You ever watch some of those uh, shows they have on? There was just one I think we were watching the was the commercial for it, or, or man, it just these guys are in, insane. Uh, uh, teams of, I'm thinking it was five people, and they had this huge angled wall that they had to get up. Way you could not scale it, you could not run up it. That what they had to do was they had to pile bodies, mm-hmm. and get one person up to the top. Once they got one person up to the top, then they had to hook their feet. And, and lean down and the next person kind of had to crawl, crawl up stand on the other person's shoulders and crawl up their body and get on top and then once they were able to do that they had to hold on to the feet of the other and lower him down so that they could get to the next one and they just kept doing that until they got all, all the people up mm. <sighs> man that was I, I watched we must have been, we must have been stumbled upon the show because it was more than a commercial I remember watching this all, how in the world are they going to do it sure enough they did it they got all five of the team members up and uh, got them over. That's quite a feat. That was teamwork. That's each one helping. That you could not have accomplished that. Now, of course, most of us would have just walked around, shredding <laughs> <laughs> around. There's no obstacles there. Just go around it would be fine. But uh, they couldn't do that and, and win this race. And so they needed the the five people to help them get up there. And they were helping them to to be able to do that. Now they were. Times then they were hanging on to each other and someone would let go or they just had no more strength to, to do it and they would come tumbling down and have to start over again. But they encouraged each other. They got each other up. Let's, let's do this. Come on, we can do it. Good people around you will lift you up. That's one of the things that they will do. Good people, having good people around you, it will, it will settle you. How I many you know that having people around you sometimes when you can get upset about what's going on, they can kind of just calm you down, settle you down. No, 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 we got this. We can take care of this. We can, we can do this thing over here. And you feel so much better about it because, hey, we can, <laughs> we can do this. We, we, have you ever been in a job where you just become unsettled because of what's going on around you? You know, I don't think I've ever, any job I was ever at did it more than the pizza place I was at because sometimes, you know, you just get all kinds of people just coming on in. And I probably told you the stories, but, you know, Brother, Brother Hagan was teaching us about praying for our jobs and our businesses and they would increase. And so I was praying for my job and my business would increase. And, and it was increasing, but one Thursday night, Thursday night you have, Thursday night in the pizza business is the fourth busiest night, third to fourth busiest night of the week. 
Friday's the busiest, Saturday's the second busiest, and then Sunday and Thursday are kind of teetering between the third and fourth, and Monday and Tuesday are, you know, pretty, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are down at the bottom. So you have a staff for each of those nights according to the crowd that you think coming in. Well, we had a Thursday night, and we had a Thursday night staff, and we had a Friday night's business. Now, Thursday night's the third or fourth busiest night of the week, kind of in the middle. Friday night is the busiest. Everybody works Friday. Everybody who's on staff at the store works on Friday night for at least the three hours of dinner. Everyone. The entire store is in there for three hours. From 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock, if you have a job at the pizza restaurant, you are working. I don't know that anybody got off on, on the, well, it might be maybe a day shift or something, but j- they were all there. So <clears throat> Thursday night, we had about half that staff, and we got Friday's business. And, oh, man, things were not done. You could feel overwhelmed about, about what was going on, and you don't have enough people to make the pizzas. You don't have enough people to answer the phones. You don't have enough people to wash the dishes. You don't have enough people to clear the tables from the dishes that were out there. More people are coming in. Dishes are on the table. They need places to sit. And if you take people off of the uh, make table, then the pizzas aren't getting made. If you take people out of the dishwasher spot to clear the tables, it's just we faced that the entire night. And, oh, it was tough. But we had some good people on that night. And we were all encouraging each other. and helping. Now, I'm the only believer. There's no other believers in the, in the place at all. I'm the only believer. But uh, they still were around. They were encouraging. Come on, we can get this. Come on, we can do this. Let's, let's go. This is not going to last all night. Eventually, it's going to stop. <laughs> sure enough, it did eventually stop. Um, and on a Thursday night, you know, we're usually out of there by midnight to 1 o'clock in the morning. And I had to get up for school at 6 a.m. in the, the morning, so... Uh, we got out of there about four, three or four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. By the time we finished everything, getting all this stuff done and, and doing all that, I, I kind of stopped praying the way Brother Hagen told us to pray <laughs> for the businesses. <laughs> was, I kind of changed the way I was praying on that. Mm-hmm. That's just a little bit too much. A little bit too much business there, Father. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got to be careful of that. But you see, sometimes they can just kind of come in and settle you down. We can do this. And you need that. Other people can come on in. And if you didn't have that, you know, if I were to look around in there and say, well, this person doesn't do this and this person doesn't do this and this person doesn't do this and put them all down, then we, we would have had an even worse night. But they were there to help us out and they're there to, to settle you and to you know this is going to be okay. Third, they're there to enlighten you. Other people are around to give you a different perspective on things. Sometimes, maybe you've seen this, maybe this has happened for you before, but... Maybe somebody in your circle has asked a question, just asking that question, just, oh, now I see. And the light just turned on for you and you understood. They helped bring light in. Or maybe they, they had the answer. Maybe it was, how can we solve this problem? And oh, what happens if we do this? That'll work. That'll work. And they, they enlightened you. They brought that, that thing in. And that person's not perfect. They got problems, but they had the idea. They had that idea that helped out. And if you, didn't, if you weren't thankful for them, if you hadn't prayed for them, they hadn't grown some because of your influence with them, they may not have been there to give you that light. And then they wouldn't have been there to help you out. But here's one of the other things that is there and sometimes we, we lose sight of. Is they are there to protect you. They are there to protect you. We've got to especially think about this when we send people to Washington. Because when you send people to Washington, you are sending people into the lion's den. That is a horrible place to be. And to try and survive with Christian values in that city is not easy. There have been many a person who has gone there and has faltered in their Christian values. And they have uh, come out of there much less of a Christian, much less of a believer than they were before. Because that place just devours you. If you can take a person, even if they are God's, God's man, a David, a Saul, someone that God picked, and put them in there. But you don't have good people around them. When the enemy comes and he throws his, his darts in, he's only got one target. Only one target to shoot at. But if there's a hundred of them, and they're all standing around this, this particular person, those, uh, those darts that are being fired in, they intercept some of them. They take some of them. 
and they battle that thing instead of the, him battling all of them. And that can really help out. I see this a, a lot in the, in the area of running. I've told you this, this story before. If I go out and run by myself, I run at one pace. I can push it. I can try. I can, um, I can get it to go, go a little bit faster than that. But if I run, or John Lee comes along with me. He's my running buddy. If we both go out there together, we don't even try. Don't even try and run any faster. Just try and go out and do the exact same thing. And we will run 45 seconds per mile faster without even trying. Not even trying. We got done. We got done the other night. We both said, we need to keep it slow. He said, I need to keep it slow. I said, I need to keep it slow. I got this uh, thing going on. And so um, he, he said, all right, we're going to keep it slow. We're going we're to slow her down. And so uh, we did. We did. We both we slowed down to the slowest pace that John and I have ever run together that I can think of. I never remember this. But it was 30 seconds faster than we both had run the day before <laughs> per mile. 30 seconds per mile faster than the day before. And I told him, I says, it didn't even feel like it was. I said, that felt like the easiest run I'd done all week. Because when you are running together, what happens when you are running together is there's a tendency to slow down. But you don't notice it. Don't even notice that you slow down. And then once you get used to that, you slow down a little bit more. And then you slow down a little bit more. But when you have two people running together, if you slow down, you, you fall behind. And you've got to push yourself to get back up. And then if he s- slows down, oh, I'm falling behind. And so it keeps you aware that I'm slowing down. When you have other people that are around you, it keeps you aware that this is what God said. This is what God told us to do. This is a faith person. This is a person walking in the peace of God. This is a person walking in the joy of God. This is that I got these examples all around me. And as soon as I begin to fall from that joy, from that grace, from that mercy, from that forgiveness, from that love, I've got other people that are around me. Oh, I'm not measuring up to, I'm not walking the way they are. And immediately I know. Immediately I know. If I've got people that are around me and they take a, a, a shot, there's other people that are right around there and to help them. Hey, come on. Keep going. Let's go. And they can, they can get recovered. It is far harder to take down an entire herd than it is to take down one gazelle. And the enemy wants us to get us down to one gazelle. Don't let them. Don't let them. You need to have people around you. You need to have believers around you. They're going to be imperfect. There are going to be some things that maybe you wish they wouldn't do. And if you keep thinking about all the things you wish they wouldn't do, and if you keep thinking about all the things that they're short on, and all their shortcomings, you're going to miss what they can bring into your life. Because we do not all have to be good at all things. I just got to know what other people are good at. And if other people are good at something, you just got to let them do it. You know, I, I love this, this the, uh, the whole idea of specialized people. If, if, um, if I can find somebody to do drywall, who does drywall for a living, who does drywall on a regular basis, I will give that to them. I will pay that person to come on in. They'll be done in four hours. It will probably take me two days to earn the money to <laughs> making bunk beds in order to pay him the, the four hours worth of work. But, oh, it's going to look better. I'm not frustrated. They're doing their, their thing that was good. And it probably would take me two more longer than two days anyway to have done the, the whole thing. There are people that are around you. God has put around you. They have talents and abilities. They're not talented, talented in all areas. They don't have abilities in every area. But they have got some abilities in some areas that you don't. All you need is the people that are around you to be good at one or two things. That's all. And when it comes time for that one or two thing, rely on them. And learn to rely on them. Here, I, I, I need this. I need this. Can you do this for me? Yeah. They would feel honored to be able to do that for you. They would feel grateful to be able to do that for you. And they have an opportunity to grow because they're doing that thing. And if they grow, they get better. If they get better, how's that help you? <laughs> because now the people that are in your life are better. And if the people that are in your life keep getting better, where are you going? You're going in a good direction. But so the enemy doesn't want you to do this. 
So he keeps feeding you thoughts about how the people around you are inadequate. How the people around you are no good. How you don't need them. And he wants to get you isolated from them. He wants to get you separated from them. He's not going to let you think about all the good that's come in your life because of your association with them. He wants to get you isolated from them. Abraham and Lot. As as long as Lot was with Abraham, he prospered and he grew. And as soon as he leaves them, what happens? He lost it all. God has put people in your life. And our thought is, well, he could have put better people, that's for sure. (laughs) But see, that comes right from the enemy because he's getting us to think less of the people around us. But the Word of God says, think the best. Think the best of all the people that are around you. Think good things about them. See good things about them. If you do that, the people around you are going to get better. And you're going to be able to depend on them more. They're going to help you more. And you're going to go farther. We're not in this as an individual race. We're in this as a team. Stay open to letting the people that are around you have a role and a function. Don't let the enemy separate you. Let them lift. Let them settle. Let them enlighten. Let them protect you. Let them help you. Because God has put, a network, put you in, into a whole network of people. Keep those people in your life. And look to expand your network. Look to have more people added in. When you meet another Christian, think the best of them. Glory to God. Got more people. And when you are going through the day, pray for the people that are believers that are in your life. And when you pray for them, be glad that they're in your life. Go in there with thanksgiving. Father, I thank you for brother so-and-so. I thank you for sister so-and-so. Oh, man, they had just been such a blessing to me. When they have done this, asked this, they had just been such a blessing. I thank you for bringing them in, putting them into my life. I thank you, Father, that you were going to grow them up. I thank you for the things you're going to be doing. And this is what we're going to see here next. We're going to see the prayer that Paul prayed for these people that were in his life. And as he prayed this prayer, they got better. And we can pray this prayer for ourselves. We can pray this prayer for the people that are around us and it will make them better. The enemy is the one who wants us isolated. God is not. Have we entertained thoughts that have come straight from the enemy about the people that are in our lives? If so, get them out. Get God's thoughts. Think his thoughts. Start praying for those people. They become even stronger and even better. Father, we thank you for the people that are in our lives. They are here to help us. We're here to help them. Christian family is about growth, about development, about furthering the kingdom. The enemy wants us to have less than stellar thoughts about those that are in our life. Wants us to begin to think about being envious of having other people, different people in our lives. But we don't need to go the way that he wants us to go. I thank you for the people that you have led us to. I thank you for the people that you have involved us with. We will continue to be grateful for every single one of them and to pray for them, every single one. We thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, amen.